Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Chandelier Chats. I'm your host, Rochelle LaCour. Today, we have a wonderful guest. Her name is Suzanne McCall. She is a transformational therapist. And today we are going to be chatting about self-doubt, imposter syndrome, and resolving limiting beliefs. So please help me in welcoming Suzanne to the show. Good morning, Suzanne. How are you? Good morning, Rochelle. I'm so great today. It's so good to be here. Having thank a lot of fun. So, yay. Thank you so much for being here. First of all, I love your earrings. Oh, thank <laughs> <Beautiful>. you. <laughs> Suzanne, I would love if you could start by telling us a little bit about yourself. Who are you and what got you interested in being a transformational therapist? Okay. I'd love to talk about that. It's a fun story. Um, so I am a therapist and I work out of Connecticut, New York, uh, Connecticut. I also work in New York and Florida. Um, but I, uh, I, so I grew up in upstate New York and I am the second of seven children. So I grew up in a very large Roman Catholic family and um, I kind of, you know, I have a thread throughout my whole life of uh, trying to get to that place of like wanting to feel special, right? So as a little kid, I always used to do things that were um, helping me feel special, putting on shows or being the lead teacher or whatever you want, you know, role-playing stuff. And um, I, so I struggled with that in my life because I was the seven, second of seven kids. So, that, you know, I decided that I was going to get what, get my needs met and my, be special by being a caretaker. So I took care of the kids and then I took care of the kids in the neighborhood and continued on in my life with that whole role of being a caretaker. And, you know, I've always wanted to help people. So I decided I wanted to be a therapist very young and I always kind of went in that and I love doing that. And I felt very tuned into people at the same time. I had this inner kind of thing going on where I felt there was something missing and I wasn't in touch with who I really was. So I, um, I kind of went back and forth in my life between wanting to be uh, a therapist and then wanting to be more of a creative person. I left, left after college, moved to New York City to be a dancer and an actor. And I also, um, at that time, started to do be in therapy myself. And I started out with doing um, movement therapy. So that was kind of like, I, there's, I was feeling like I needed to get more in touch with myself. And I went through the movement in the body. And then I decided to be a, a dance movement therapist, which is really cool blending of both, of both worlds, right? The Super movement. cool. It was so cool. I mean, I just love the whole thing. And um, it's just how you feel the, the most complete is when you're doing like dance or um, yoga or something where you're really connecting your mind, your body, your spiritual world. So uh, that I did that for a long time and then moved on to just straight therapy. And each step of the way, I took, I learned new things about being a therapist. And I did that because I was working with my clients and I could see there was limitations. There was something I wasn't getting to. So each step of the way I said, oh, I'm gonna learn this. So then I went and I studied um, 
theta healing. So I, I got sort of an energy understanding of how everything is energy and our emotions and our thoughts and our feelings are all energy in our body. And so that kind of helped with that mind-body connection. And then I studied EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy. And to me, that kind of pu pulled it all together. And so when I do therapy with people now doing that, it is just amazing to me how they change, how it brings everything together for them. And it just totally transforms them. So that's what I'm doing. And I love that kind of work with people. And um, I'm just uh, really, it brings me to the place of wanting other people to know what's possible in mm. their lives, you know, how good you can feel. That's amazing. Thank you so yeah. much for sharing. Could oh, you expand welcome. a little bit more on EMDR? I, I'm so, so curious about EMDR. I think I've had one session with a therapist and, and it, it was very helpful. So for our listeners and our viewers who have never heard of it or have never tried it, can you explain a little bit more about it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, EMDR is, is becoming much more mainstream. It's like totally in, in, in the news these days. Um, it has to do with looking at what's going on in your everyday life, your current life, things that you struggle with, and um, what is the negative belief about yourself that comes up. And it helps you to kind of go back to when that first, that negative belief first got created. And, the, and in general, it has to do with when something traumatic happened, you know, big T, little T. So it doesn't have to be like a major, major trauma. It could be a small one. And like parents who made you feel like you weren't good enough for some reason, you know, maybe they were perfectionists. Mm -hmm. um, and what the whole theory behind it is that everything that happens to us is stored in our body and that when something's traumatic, it gets stored, but it, it doesn't have, um, it doesn't have a timestamp. So things in here now can trigger those same feelings that you had when you were a kid, for example. So EMDR goes back, taps into that emotion that was stored at the time of that memory. And it uses what we call bilateral stimulation, which is basically uh, stimulation of, in, of your brain, right, left, right, left. So when I do that with people online, I have them tap. And then in, it could be with eye movements. It could be um, sound. There's a lot of different ways to do bilateral. It's kind of a fancy thing for just creating that uh, stimulation right and left, um, which helps to process everything. And what happens is when you kind of, instead of avoiding those, those memories, when you dive into them, you tap into it, it gets, it gets processed now from more of a mature adult perspective. And you release all the negative thoughts and beliefs that come with it and the emotions. And naturally what happens is you have a more adaptive perspective on, on, your, on your life in the here and now. It's all about the here and now. We don't go back and, and heal just for the heck of it, right? We just want to feel good in the here and now and in the future. So that's kind of a... Um, Cole's notes sure. version. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's helpful. If that's, that's amazing. I really appreciate you sharing about that. I find it really interesting how certain modalities play into therapy. And I feel like therapy there's so much negative connotation and association around therapy and 
I feel like it's becoming more understood now, the benefits of it. I remember even 10 years ago, people were like, oh, you go to a therapist. It's like, what, like, why is that shamed? I feel like that is so dehumanizing. It's a bit dehumanizing. Yeah. 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 And it's, it's very unkind to turn around to someone and be like, oh, you're in therapy. Don't make assumptions about people in therapy, period. People are in therapy because they're trying to do better for themselves. And if you're the person making the assumptions, I highly recommend you get some therapy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When people make those comments, it's really more about them. Exactly. Exactly. Than about you, really. Exactly. I have to tell people. And can you share a little bit more about how these limiting beliefs, how this self-doubt, how imposter syndrome can be stored in our body? Like what needs to happen in order to trigger these or to stem these or to root these things? It's so easy to get to it if you know how to get to it, really. Mm -hmm. You have to be um, able to look at what it is that's happening in your everyday life with an understanding of uh, like, for example, like I used to hate public speaking. And so I would, I mean, when I think about when I was in New York City to going in front of the camera to do auditions, I would totally freeze up and I would have all this feeling of, um, I don't know, it was dangerous. It felt dangerous, you know, like my whole body was clamping down. And so I, when I studied EMDR, they helped me to go to that setting, go to that memory, tap into it, get in touch with what the negative belief was. Mm -hmm. And it helped me to go back in time to when I, you know, um, was in situations where I didn't feel safe. Like maybe, you know, my father was yelling at me really loud. Um, And by even just looking at that and like kind of reframing Oh yeah, that's, that's, that was happened a long time ago. That's over. Mm. I'm safe. And then it helped to release that. And it helped me to be able to speak in public, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so like when you are, it is, it happens in all areas of our life. You know, it's not just one setting, like just work or just personal life. Right. But if you're at work and you're, um, let's just say there's some kind of a a job promotion, a job opening that you really want. If you notice yourself hesitating, you know, you have to, the question, the thing to do is to say, what is the negative thought about myself right now? Mm -hmm. And then to be able to kind of work on that, um, to draw on your inner resources. It's all about inner resources. Like what what can help me right now not to feel that way? Yeah, and approaching yourself and your thoughts and your emotions from a place of curiosity and inquisitiveness rather than animosity and or rejection. I spent a lot of time rejecting and suppressing certain times and certain instances in my life because they were so uncomfortable. And I think it's so interesting when when I've asked people this question, would you rather experience physical pain or emotional pain? They'll always pick physical pain, hands down. They would rather break a leg, literally break a leg than deal with their emotional pain. Why do you think that is? Because I think there's a stigma to, we believe that if, you know, if we get in touch with feeling alone or lonely or not worthy or broken, we feel like we're going to get lost in that. And there's no way to get out of it. You know, 
and in, in general, people don't know how to get out of it, you know, and even when you go to therapy, sometimes it's, it's, you don't get to it really, you don't get deep enough. And so people still struggle with it. When you break your leg, you know, you go, there's no stigma to go to the doctor, right? (laughs) (laughs) You go to the doctor, you do what he says, you, you know, you follow the prescription and, and your heat leg gets better. So, and there's no stigma Mm -hmm. around that. So, you know, people don't want to feel that pain. It's because they think it's, they think it's a really bad thing, but when you really get into it, some of the most painful things, if you really let yourself feel them and understand it and explore it, it's so powerful. And then mm. it goes away. And I think people don't understand that. I feel like you're dead on about the fact that it's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of stigma around it. And I also think because emotions aren't really something we can measure. They're not something that we can see, whereas a broken bone or an injured limb we can see, we can see that we can see the x-ray. So we know how long the timeline is approximately if we follow ABC, you know, have our legs set, have the surgery to have the leg or the bone set. And then you're in a cast and then you're, you know, you get out of the cast and then you're learning to walk again. And then you're building the muscle again. People know what that protocol is. And I think with emotions, because there is no handbook on emotions, There really isn't. There really isn't. People are like, well, I would rather, I would, of course I would rather break a leg than deal with grief or deal with sadness or deal with anger or resentment because I can't measure that. I can't tell you how long it's going to take me. And I think the fear of the unknown really likes to play into that. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. And I think what people think is like, if I'm grieving, my whole life is going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. You know, like or that's going to be who I am. That's going to be my whole identity. Mm-hmm. So we avoid, we just avoid that. Cause oh, that's yeah. not what we think. Oh, I don't want, that's not what I want. Yeah, totally. You know, I'm not a victim, you know, I'm not, oh, you know, yes. whatever. Yes. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about victimization, being a victim and victim victimhood. Can you expand on that? Because I feel like that is what is happening in our world right now is there's being there's been a lot of victimization and a lot of people are operating from that place can you speak a little bit more about that wow there's so many ways to look at that and um i think that well you know people don't people do feel like victims and they feel powerless Mm -hmm. and there's so much um divisiveness you know the good guys and the bad guys Mm-hmm. And we all see ourselves as a victim of the other, mm-hmm. you know, um, and um, I think we're just looking, we're making everything black and white. You know, we have to, we have to get out of that black and white. Um, and, you know, yeah, there's times when, when, you know, you are a victim of somebody, you know, somebody does something really terrible to you. Yeah that person that gets hurt is a victim. Mm -hmm. It's true. So there is a, it is a reality, Mm -hmm. but it's also, um, you know, we have to stop and say, okay, well, what can I do about this? What, what kind of power do I have in my life to make changes? We're not all, we're never just a victim. Mm -hmm. We're also someone who can make changes. Mm -hmm. And, and that, 
that we, we have to remember that, you know, mm -hmm. um, and even if it's really small changes, even if it's just like, you know, cause I, I look at, you know, my clients come in and they're talking about all these terrible things. Oh, a lot of people are talking about you know, politics and you name it right now that are going on and how powerless they feel. So I try to help them fig figure out what can they do? What small thing can they do in their life to take some control mm -hmm. and not live in that victimhood? Mm -hmm. Um, and have more curiosity and have more, uh, try to have more compassion even, mm -hmm. you know, and if somebody hurts you, it, getting to that point of being able to say that person has problems, that person is sick, really, mm -hmm. that person is somehow some somewhat of a victim. Mm -hmm. And that what's more important is that we all try to heal, like mm -hmm. trying to focus on that. Mm -hmm. And I think bringing the, focus back onto yourself. Yes, you may have experienced, you know, maybe somebody was inappropriate with you, or maybe, you know, you're a victim of molestation or rape or something like that. Like, yeah. this is not to downplay that. Those are very traumatic events, very, very traumatic events. But knowing that there's possibility to move past that, and to also recognize not that, not that the other person is right, right, any stretch of the imagination, but recognizing that in order for that person to have been capable of that, something greater than that or the same as that had to have happened to them in order for their brain alchemically to have had that shift. And I feel like that is a really important piece because we just want to point the finger so we can, we can take the blame away and we can just, you know, oh no, it's somebody else's problem. Well, unfortunately, you were the victim of the circumstance. And unfortunately, you still have to deal with that. It's not just something you can sweep under the rug, let go of and move on from. But it can be something that you work through and find empowerment around. Do you yeah. feel the same way? Susan? Yes, I, I agree. And, the, the, and until you do that, it's almost um, it keeps that relationship alive or that mm -hmm. experience alive. Mm -hmm. So when you really heal from it, and then you're able to look at that person as somebody, as a, as a human being mm -hmm. who had, who was a victim and had to have things happen to them mm -hmm. for, for them to do what they're doing. Mm -hmm. It goes back to what you were saying before, like this stuff is not easy to understand. Mm -hmm. It's just not, it's not like, you know, we don't have a sign on us that says, this is what happened to me in my life. Mm -hmm. So this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, mm -hmm. it's. It's really um, hard to understand it. And um, it really takes, sometimes you need help really to be able to get there. Yeah. But um, healing from it helps you to get to that place where you're able to see them in a different way, see the, mm -hmm. a perpetrator in a different way. Not mm -hmm. like, not that it, what they did was okay ever. No. But it helps you to see you know, and we talk about perp perpetrators. I mean, this, this could be your parents, you know, this could be mm -hmm. just people who didn't, who were not good to you, yeah. you know, and they're just people. Yeah. They're so the, the way I like um, to look at it is people communicate and act from where they are in their life. So if, if it's like hurt people, hurt people, you've heard that saying, and by yeah. no means are you condoning the behavior of the person and saying that the behavior or the actions or the words or whatever was okay. But what you are saying is that you're willing to let go of it. You're willing to forgive, which I know that that is honestly the hardest 
part is to forgive because when you actually forgive, you actually release that connection to that person, which is critical in your healing journey and in you moving on because otherwise what happens is resentment starts to build, bitterness starts to build. And we all know that bitterness and resentment are like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It, it just exactly it doesn't it exactly. doesn't happen and you don't need to continue to poison yourself with these ongoing thoughts and these ongoing cycles of remembering oh this person's a piece of crap they did this to me they did this to me because all it does is reinforce the neural pathway that you are a victim and it's not about yeah. if you are or are not a victim it's about you finding your power and taking it back mm-hmm. 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 yeah mm-hmm. and so turning inward and going in because when when things happen to us we we interpret them in so many ways mm-hmm. we blame ourselves you know oh, so yeah. we have to look at what is it we're doing inside toward ourselves mm-hmm. and the more we do that and the more we re, we release that and for you know i want to say forgive ourselves because you know maybe we were powerless and we had it really wasn't our fault yeah the more we do that, the more we're, we're starting that healing process. And I think sometimes healing, the, forgiving the other person, it gets easier the more we heal ourselves. Yes, I agree. I agree. It's almost, sometimes it's the last step is letting, it's like say, okay, well, I'm forgiving this person and I'm moving on. Yes. This is not yeah. my life story anymore. And now, I'm, you know, there, that takes you away from that victim mode. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I'm, I love chatting about this because it, it's, it's very prevalent in our society right now. There are a ton of people who are suffering, you know, pre pandemic, there were a lot of people who were suffering. And I feel like what this pandemic actually did was it amplified anything in anyone who, you know, maybe hasn't started to do that inner work and hasn't started to build that awareness within themselves. And I really feel for these people because they're, they're running around operating from that place and I really I really ask people to really take a moment and pause and look in and you know Suzanne you mentioned when you're starting to feel something I'm a big believer in this when you when you start to feel something when you start to notice that you're triggered Mm -hmm. that you're feeling some type of way by just because of the way somebody looked at you ask yourself what about this is bothering me why is this bothering me get curious with yourself ask yourself these questions you can't reveal anything to yourself if you can't ask yourself the question so it starts with curiosity it's an awareness and then you ask yourself the question and let things be revealed to you and if it's too hard for you to unpack that seek support so someone can assist you and support you while you unpack it we don't want Mm -hmm. you to re-traumatize yourself from whatever went on we want you to find the support that you need get the help that you need and work through it so that you can be a better person for yourself, for your family, for your community, for your kids. It all starts with you. If you want other people to change, you have to be the change that you wish to see in the world as far as I'm concerned. Exactly. Oh yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you know, people, the problem, like you said before, is like people don't know that that's something that helps and that Mm -hmm. you can do that. You know, we think, oh, that's, that out there is bad or this is bad and it makes sense that I'm having these feelings about it and Mm -hmm. I struggle and I have that happen too you Mm -hmm. know like sometimes I look at my friends and I'm like really upset about something and they're like 
yeah, that doesn't bother me. I mean, I don't like it, but it doesn't bother. I don't get really upset. Yeah. And I'm like, whoa. Sometimes reluctantly, I have to say, okay, Suzanne, what's going on here? Yeah. <laughs> what is it about you? What is, what is that tapping into? Mm-hmm. And it really helps. It doesn't mean that you're going to all of a sudden approve or condone something, mm-hmm. but it helps you not to be controlled by it. Yes. It takes you out of that victim stance. My old habit was to completely disassociate from my body. I would actually like leave my body because of, you know, there was a lot of trauma that occurred to me as a child, like even in vitro, like there, there was a lot of trauma that occurred. And then uh, when I was three mm-hmm. years old, you know, like I fell prey to sexual abuse and it, like there was just such a mess all throughout my entire childhood was just trauma after trauma after trauma after trauma. And I I had no idea. It wasn't until I was driving in downtown Calgary, all of a sudden this thought came rushing back to me. And I was like, whoa, where, where did this come from? Like, how did this come about? And if I didn't have that awareness, I would have been right back in that same cycle of trauma. I would have gone right back to operating from that place, you know, speaking from that place, communicating from that place, thinking from that place. But I, I hit the brakes and I was like, okay, I need to think about this. Why is, why is this showing up for me? What about this? Am I needing to heal? What is unresolved here? And mm-hmm. that, that was really important for me to start really looking at that. And I feel like, again, childhood sexual abuse is a massively prevalent thing in our society as well. And it's very taboo to talk about yeah. it. I don't think it's taboo to talk yeah. about it. It needs to be talked about. Those hard conversations need to be had. Because if you, if you have experienced that as a child, it, it, it is detrimental to a yeah. person's psyche, to their mm-hmm. body, to the way that they choose partners, to the way that they communicate with their, their family, their friends, their loved ones. And it also gives you a different appreciation or understanding of how you outside can support someone. Like if you, it's not like I'm asking you to go run around and say, Hey, like, have you been sexually abused? Like that, that's not what I'm saying, but no, <laughs> you, you can see that that is often a common reason why certain behaviors occur why certain choices are made why certain partners are chosen because it becomes familiar yeah and that familiarity can be mm, dangerous not dangerous but toxic it can be very toxic to constantly seek familiarity you need to have contrast like you like you mentioned Suzanne everybody's trying to make everything black and white you have to cross through the gray area sometimes you know, there needs to yeah. be a little bit of a transition point there for you to go from black back to, to white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that in, in your, what, what you just described happens to so many people where they block stuff out, especially, mm-hmm. and that's oh, just yeah. normal. The dissociating, blocking memories, repressing them. Mm-hmm. That is a, your normal response to trauma. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's upping the ante. Like when it's that bad, then you just have to check out. Um, And then something might trigger a memory like 30 years later, you know? Yeah. (laughs) All of a sudden, whoa, oh my God. You know, that happens to a lot of people. And um, uh, you have to just, and it does affect you. It does affect your um, choices without you even knowing it and realizing it, you know, because you associate, you don't know when you're young, you just associate, I don't know, closeness is trauma bonding. So there's a trauma bonding that happens where you think love and pain go together in some level, right? 
And so you keep having those kinds of experiences with partners or friends, um, any kind of, all kinds of relationships. And until you really unpack it you, and get down into what really, why that is that way, then you just, um, you just keep repeating the same pattern. Yes. And in the more, the more you're aware of it, the more you can see it in other people too. And I think um, sometimes that's why there, people who have had experiences and have healed from them are the best helpers, you know, the best healers because they can see it, they understand it, you know, they feel it so much. They lived, they, it. They lived it, they lived it. And they know that you can come out the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and that's where, you know, kind of finding your, your path to healing, whether it's whatever's happening in the moment, like, you know, you might need to start doing yoga, you might need to start nutrition, what you have to look at what it is that is speaking to you in the moment Mm -hmm. about how to heal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes you get physical pain. I have a lot of clients who first thing they know is that they have physical pain and they don't even remember anything that happened. Mm -hmm. So we tap into the physical pain and we work with EMDR in that way. And the body remembers everything. And then we get to the other stuff. Did you ever read the book, The Body Keeps the Score? Yeah. Oh, it's such a good book. Yeah, that, that book was so transformational for me. When I started to read it, I was like, oh, I'm not the only one that has experienced it. Not that I ever thought that, but to read it in text in, you know, an international bestseller, I was like, holy crap. Like, this yeah, is, this is awesome that this is being talked about. It's a heavy read, but I highly recommend it. I highly yeah. recommend that book. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a great book and it explains it. <clears throat> There's another really good book. Um, for people who are interested in learning about EMDR, it's called Getting Past Your Past mm-hmm. by Francine Shapiro. And she really tells these stories, you know, of what's happening with somebody and how do we understand where this came from and how they heal from it. And it's, it's really like, you know, you really have to tap into your, stay in touch with your body. Yes. Your body tells us a lot of stories. Oh, it's very, it's a very intelligent being it sure is it's, a very intelligent it's amazing being. and I'm curious so how does that play into self-doubt how does that play into limiting beliefs and imposter syndrome too so I see that limiting beliefs are the you know our beliefs that you have about yourself and you think that they're real mm-hmm. so they get created by experiences in life that take you away from believing in yourself and and trusting your inner voice, because when these bad things happen, you have to make sense of them somehow. So you have to start believing something negative, you know, like the world is not safe or I'm not good or I'm broken. And so you, you start to really not, and you don't get validation from the rest of the world. Like, oh no, it wasn't you. These are most, most of the time when we have these traumas, they're, they're secret. Nobody knows about them. So you develop this feeling of like, it's my fault somehow. Mm-hmm. And so you go throughout your life believing I'm not, I'm not good enough or my, I shouldn't feel this way. Yeah. There's something wrong with how I feel. And mm-hmm. that's where you start to have self-doubt mm-hmm. because you're not really, you don't believe in yourself. You don't believe in your, in your um, worthiness. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're just constantly listening to these negative beliefs that you've developed, the limiting beliefs mm-hmm. that are not really real. They're not true. Yeah. And so then you develop, it shows up in your life so many times you're afraid you're going to be found out to be and not good enough, like at your job, in, in your personal life, you get in relationships where people don't treat you well. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you're not, um, used to listening to that inner voice that says, I deserve better than this. Yeah. You know, I deserve to be treated with love and respect. Mm-hmm. You, you don't listen to that. And so that's where you get disconnected from your true self and uh, what you really, what's really true. You really do deserve to be treated well. And, mm-hmm. and, and there's nothing just, and you look at, you take it all on yourself. So like if you're in a setting where it's kind of a toxic environment at work, mm-hmm. Somebody with who doesn't who has self doubt or <clears throat> imposter syndrome thinks it's them because they're not getting that positive maybe not getting the positive feedback they take it all on themselves mm-hmm. instead of saying I have a lot to offer and this this environment's not healthy yeah because they don't even see it that way. Um, so um, they, they struggle a lot with believing themselves and their own self-doubt. Um, and so, you know, like having that language and understanding what it is that's happening and why it's happening really helps. Mm-hmm. And then you need to get support. You really need support from people who yeah. believe in you. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I do with people. I have them think about, we call it a support circle. Mm-hmm. I don't know you if you've ever gone through therapy, visualizations, whatever. People, a lot of therapists do this kind of thing. But <clears throat> thinking about the people in your life who support you, who've loved you, who believe in you, and really kind of imagining them there, imagining them in a, in a circle with you, you're creating those neural pathways of being supported and loved and feeling worthy, and trying to keep that in your in your consciousness. Mm-hmm. when you're in different situations to help you, you know, make your decisions. Yeah. The power of association. Or the power of- we all have these neural pathways. Like if you remember happy times when you were a kid, even though really bad things happened in your life, I try to get people to think about what are the happy memories. Mm-hmm. And if you can't think of happy and you probably have them. And so we, in, with EMDR, what we do is we really reinforce those happy memories and it helps you to incorporate it more into who you are in mm-hmm. your understanding of yourself. Um, yes. There's a lot of power in association. There's a lot of power in community. And there's something very nourishing about being witnessed by other people going through your experience. Because when- Absolutely. I, I'm a big believer in this as well. When one person decides that they wanna heal, it doesn't just heal them. It starts to send healing back, you know, ancestrally forwardly and, and out into their community, because then you begin to communicate differently. You begin to operate differently. You begin to see things differently. And I mean, that in itself is, is healing. It's very healing. Yeah. You're kind of, uh, reflecting what's possible. Yeah. You know, other people see it and that's a, it's a, it's an unspoken message 
mm-hmm. that they they are they could be healed also you know that they yeah. have they, they can feel hope. good about themselves yeah and when you hope there's hope it does and so when you're when you have your you have to find your tribe you know people that are going to help you feel and stay in touch with that healing mm-hmm. journey and that healing um message yeah, yeah it really is big yes i do encourage people to look around at their their circle and notice is everyone in your circle in the same boat as you is there anyone who's worked through their trauma is there anyone who has you know successfully overcome some negative thinking and is doing things differently and lean into that lean into that and ask them like what did you do like get curious about it and oftentimes even just hearing hearing someone ask that for me like when somebody comes to me and they're like wow you know like you you've experienced quite a bit of stuff like what started you on your journey it gives them a chance to share their their story from a different place because they're no longer sharing it from i'm a victim i was traumatized i was abused they're sharing it from a place of this is what happened this is what i've overcome and this is where i am now and i just encourage people there is life after trauma there is life after trauma i am living breathing walking talking evidence of that there is life after trauma and yeah. the life on yeah. the other side when you work through that trauma is amazing everything is so beautiful on the other it side is. it takes courage it takes strength mm-hmm. and it takes a great support support system that's a great message. <laughs> thank you. I wanted to just reinforce that message. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yes. And with that, Suzanne, I would love to ask, do you have any final words of wisdom for our listeners and our viewers today? I think it's it's along the lines of what you're saying is don't, don't let your past con- decide what your future is going to be. You know, it doesn't have to control your beliefs about yourself. It doesn't have to control what's going to happen to you in your future. And you can redesign and recreate your life and, and move into whatever you want it to be. Uh, So, and get, if you can't figure out that, you know, do everything to like find people that can help you to get there. Yes. And speaking of that, Suzanne, how can people connect with you? How can they reach out to you and how can they get in touch with you? So probably the easiest thing is to go to my, my website, suzannemccallllc.com. I have all sorts of information on there about all of this kind of stuff. And I'm on Facebook, Suzanne McCall LPC, and I'm on Instagram, uh, same, same name, uh, and LinkedIn. So I'm kind of in all these different places, but suzannemccallllc.com is probably the the, the best place to go. And there's great stuff that you can use for helping you figure out, uh, people can use to figure out wh- how to help them in their journey. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it has been an yeah. absolute pleasure having you here today, Suzanne. And I thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. And I look forward to hearing this air. Thank you so much. All right. It's my pleasure. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please don't forget to like and subscribe.